You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. Here's your host, Dr. Stephen Edelman, founder and director of Taking Control of Your Diabetes, clinical professor of medicine, Division of Endocrinology and Metabolism, University of California, San Diego, and San Diego Veterans Administration Healthcare System. Efficient delivery of insulin remains one of the key therapeutic challenges in the management of diabetes. How will new drug delivery technology affect this challenge? Joining us to discuss drug delivery and diabetes is Assistant Clinical Professor of Pharmacy and Pediatrics at the University of California, San Diego, Skaggs School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences, Dr. Brookie Best. And I am Dr. Candace Morello, sitting in for Dr. Stephen Edelman. Dr. Best, welcome to Reach MD. Thank you very much. What are the key therapeutic challenges in using insulin in the management of diabetes? Well, as you know, the key challenge in using insulin has always been and remains our inability to make it into an oral pill. Insulin is a protein made up of a long chain of amino acids, and in order for it to work, the entire intact protein has to get into the bloodstream. However, our GI tract is designed to break down food, including proteins, and extract the nutrients. Specifically, each amino acid in the long chain that forms a protein has a side that has a negative charge and a side with a positive charge. These charge sites are very reactive and unstable. So both acidic and basic environments react with these groups and break the protein apart. Um, These sites are also very unstable to all the digestive enzymes in our GI tract. So the gut just easily breaks it down into the amino acids. In addition to easily breaking down, these charged sites um, that are part of the insulin molecule are very hydrophilic or water-loving, so they have a difficult time diffusing through the lipophilic or fat-loving membranes of the GI tract. So in a nutshell, when we try to administer insulin orally, it has a hard time being absorbed because it cannot easily pass through the lipophilic gut wall. It's very unstable to the acids and enzymes in our gut, and it very quickly breaks the protein down into the amino acid pieces, basically rendering it useless for the treatment of diabetes. And what are some of the other key issues with insulin delivery? Well, insulin is particularly challenging for a whole host of reasons. So in addition to being a protein, which does not easily um, get delivered through the gut, insulin also has to be available in easily titratable doses and action profiles for the huge array of individualized dosing regimens that we need for diabetic patients. The devices themselves have to be easy enough for both young and old patients to use correctly. Um, In other words, insulin delivery requires extreme flexibility, which increases the cost and complexity of manufacturing as compared to other drugs where you can give a one-size-fits-all dose of a single formulation. Beyond flexibility, the drug solution that you um, make the insulin in needs to be stable at room temperature for at least a month to make a viable product. This is difficult because insulin is so reactive, as we discussed. Even rigorous shaking can degrade the protein. Also, anytime you create an injection product, you have to use manufacturing processes that are much more costly. They have to be 
sterile to ensure safety and purity because you're going to bypass the gut or the skin, which are your body's um, defenses against microorganisms. What are the current status of inhaled insulin devices? Because of all the challenges of insulin delivery by injection as we've gone over, an inhaled insulin product would obviously be um, a major advance. You know, Exubero was a fast-acting inhaled insulin product on the market for just over a year. The problems that we saw with this first-to-the-market inhaled product was that the dosing was confusing. They dosed it in milligrams instead of international units. This caused a lot of confusion and had a large potential for error. The drug itself only came in two strengths, and so you don't have nearly as much flexibility in titrating the dose to each specific patient. The unit itself was kind of large and bulky and quite complicated to use. And finally, uh, we had concerns about some reversible lung function decline that was seen with use of an inhaler over extended periods of time. One company still remains, Mankind, and they're trying to market their device called Afresa. It has some benefits over the first-generation device, Exubera. The Afresa is an ultra-fast-acting inhaled insulin product. The device itself fits into the palm of your hand. They studied lung function decline in their testing and found that it was not any more than you see with normal aging. And they've submitted their new drug application to the FDA this year. And at this point, we're waiting to hear if it will be approved. What are other non-invasive routes being explored? Okay, well, we do have some other options um, for proteins and peptides specifically, since it's so hard to take them orally. They are exploring the nasal and the buccal and the transdermal routes. The nasal route, you have actually a large surface area inside your nostrils that's good for drug absorption. Drugs can get into your systemic circulation rapidly. It bypasses the gut and the liver. Nasal um, sprays are usually pretty easy for patients to use. There are some challenges, though. You can't have very large volumes of solution spraying into the nose. It simply won't work. Uh, The pattern of absorption can be irregular between patients or even in the same patient on different days. Nasal sprays are affected by allergies, by sneezing or runny or stuffy noses when you get a cold. So you would have a lot of instances where you'd have to stop using the device and switch back to, say, an injectable. If you are just joining us, you are listening to Diabetes Discourse on ReachMD XM 160, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Candace Morello, and I'm speaking with Dr. Brookie Best. We are discussing emerging drug delivery technologies. We were just talking about other non-invasive routes that are explored for insulin delivery. And what were you going to say about the buccal mucosa route? Okay, so there is a product available in South America that um, uses like an insulin mist that you spray into your mouth and it gets absorbed through your cheek. I don't know of any companies that are pursuing that in the U.S. at this time. Again, it has a lot of the same problems you see with... um, the breaking down of the insulin and not being able to easily pass through the, the even the cheek membrane. Uh, the transdermal patches are an option that are really a, a lot of effort is being put towards. 
the skin has a large surface area for absorption, but the patch has to be combined with some sort of either needle or other technology to help get the protein past the skin barrier. What are new and emerging delivery technologies and devices in the diabetes field? Well, we already have some interesting products on the market. We have needle-free injectors. So these are fancy pen-like devices that shoot the insulin into a very fine, high-powered jet stream, basically, and it blasts the insulin right through the skin without actually using a needle. So it's like having a needle, but it's needleless. Um, additional technologies in the uh, in progress are patches that use something called micro needles. So these are hundreds of tiny needles per centimeter of a patch, and you can either coat these micro needles with drug, and then you put the patch on, and it gets the drug through that outer layer of skin. Or you can make hollow needles, and you put the patch on, and then you put, like, the wipe a gel or or something similar of the drug over the patch, and it diffuses through those hollow needles. Uh, The nice thing about hollow needles is that in addition to delivering insulin that way, you could also potentially extract a fluid sample back out for glucose monitoring. Two other technologies that are similar in idea are iontophoresis and sonophoresis. For iontophoresis, this is basically using an electrical gradient. You place two electrodes on the skin along with a drug patch, and you use an electrical gradient to drive the drug through the skin. For sonophoresis, instead of an electrical gradient, you use ultrasound waves. These waves produce just temporary microscopic pores or tunnels through the skin that the medicine can pass through, and then the skin goes back to normal. These technologies are painless because they only disrupt the outer layer of skin where we do not have nerves. So they're both being studied to deliver insulin and also to pull out fluid samples for glucose monitoring. What are some of the other techniques to optimize delivery of proteins, including some of those new drug treatments? One of the hot areas of research in recent years has been nanospheres and microspheres. Basically, all Peptides and proteins have the same trouble that insulin does, that it's easily degraded by the gut environment or even other environments where you um, inject them. So nanospheres and microspheres are being studied to basically encapsulate or surround the proteins, protect the protein from degradation, get them delivered into the bloodstream, and then slowly release them. So one example is exenatide long-acting release that uses microspheres. They generated these microspheres out of a biodegradable polymer. So what happens is the polymer gets into the body and it gets slowly hydrolyzed by water in the fatty tissue, releasing the drug slowly, and the polymer itself breaks down into natural products like lactic acid and glycolic acid that are cleared by the body. Um, Another technique that's widely used in diabetes therapy is called conjugation. So again, to prevent the breakdown or degradation of the protein or peptide, you can conjugate something else to it, attach something else to it. For instance, liraglutide attaches a big fatty acid molecule to one position on the peptide, And this changes the peptide enough to make it bind to albumin. Once it's bound to albumin, it stays in the bloodstream much longer and doesn't get broken down so quickly. 
Um, one final example of different strategies to optimize delivery are salt complexes. Now, these have been around for a while, but if you take insulin and in the presence of a salt, these insulins sort of bind together and form a larger crystal structure of the insulin protein. And, and that takes longer to dissolve and break down. And that's how insulin MPH is formulated. And that's why its action lasts longer than just regular insulin. I would like to thank our guest, Assistant Clinical Professor of Pharmacy and Pediatrics at the UCSD Skaggs School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences, Dr. Brookie Best. Dr. Best, thank you so much for spending time with us on Diabetes Discourse. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. To learn more about diabetes and the role of GLP-1, visit novomedlink.com forward slash DIA. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, visit us at reachmd.com. Daddy, what are you reading? I'm reading about something called GLP-1. Is it a robot? No. (laughs) GLP-1 is a natural hormone that helps regulate glucose metabolism. Its multiple actions are critical to glucose control. Huh? Okay. Well, GLP-1 works in a glucose-dependent manner. It stimulates the beta cells in your pancreas to secrete insulin and inhibit the liver from releasing excessive glucose by reducing glucagon secretion from alpha cells. It also helps regulate food ingestion by slowing gastric emptying in your stomach here (laughs) and making you feel full. Like at Thanksgiving? Yes. Um, I don't get it. Is it important? Well, GLP-1 is important because it impacts the multiple systems affected by diabetes. It also plays a significant role in protecting beta cells, a key to slowing diabetes progression. Unfortunately, many people with type 2 diabetes have impaired GLP-1 secretion and impaired beta cell response to GLP-1. Like Grandpa? Yes. And like many of my type 2 diabetes patients. That's why I want to make sure I'm looking at the whole picture in diabetes. Sustained control of A1C is important, but we can't stop there. It's important to look at weight, cardiovascular risk, and beta cell dysfunction. Impaired GLP-1 physiology is also a part of the problem, and the multiple actions of GLP-1 throughout the body are critical. So, the GLP-1 robot will help you see the whole picture. (laughs) Yes, I guess, in a way, it will. Novo Nordisk is a world leader in diabetes care and is dedicated to ongoing research. To learn more about GLP-1 and the role it plays in diabetes, please visit novomedlink.com slash DIA.